you're hoping that nothing happens, but if something does, if something happens, you're insured. Showing a client a contract or talking about, you know, do you have a contract for us to sign um, or presenting them with one is actually a sign of professionalism and it makes you look more legit. And so mm -hmm. shifting that mindset of what a contract mm -hmm. actually does and means, um, it makes you look like a real business. That is actually a topic I want to oh, talk about Oh, look at that. You know, we're going to be talking about contracts and legal things we've learned in this episode. This is, but this does not constitute legal advice. <laughs> I feel like, well, there's pretty much, like I haven't ever had anything set up with a lawyer. Like I have never hired or paid a lawyer for anything yet. So like my contract is really rudimentary. My, how I've hired my, uh, my workers, my employees, our contract is like based on on some other form of, of document a friend of mine put together but he like it's it's binding it's it, it works well and I feel like it's always until somebody breaks something in that relationship or something goes wrong and then it's going into these detailed things where it's like what did we not address what did we not think about and of course both sides you as the artist want to make sure that you don't get in trouble, that you don't get fined, that your business survives, you survive in the, the long uh, long run. And um, as a business, you're thinking as well, like, I want to make sure that I get what I pay for. Like, like, I've signed a lot of contracts with bigger clients where I know, like, if anything goes wrong, they're safe. I'm screwed. <laughs> um, and, and maybe it's just my optimism saying like, you know what, I'm going to give my the best, I'm going to do all to the best of my abilities. And, and there are some things that I feel like are, are just common sense. Like if you're working for a brand like Coca-Cola, like don't accept any work from Pepsi, like you'll get in trouble or any other brand. If you're not sure, ask for it. But you... How much work have you gotten from from a lawyer? Like, what's what have you asked Ooh, your lawyer yeah. to do? Yeah, so, I mean, back to that point of you know, if you are doing work for Coca Cola, don't do work for Pepsi right afterwards. I actually think that's something that because contracts from a corporation like Coca Cola are so long because they've got a huge legal team, and um, I actually don't think a lot of designers who were starting out or people with less experience would would necessarily know that. I, at the beginning, I actually didn't know what a non-compete was, like the clause and the contract of, yeah. it totally makes sense when you talk it out, but you don't realize what you're, if you don't realize what you're signing, you might sign something that says, hey, you can't do work for any competitor, like in our market for six months, 12 months in perpetuity, they could put anything in there. I remember mm -hmm. years ago getting a project that was for a calendar that sounded really cool right up my alley. The pay was okay. And then we saw the contract and there was a clause in there that said I couldn't do any other calendars for like the next year or two years or stationary products. It was very limiting. And with a non-compete, you basically, it doesn't mean you need to say no or get it out of there completely. You can negotiate. Uh, but if you have to weigh out, is this project worth taking? If I can't take on, you know, other projects in this category that might or might not come along in the next six to 12 months. So it's just kind of a personal assessment of, do I think projects are going to come in? How 
overreaching mm -hmm. are those categories? Is it just, you know, let's use the Coke and Pepsi um, example. Is it just Pepsi products? Because Pepsi owns a lot of products. <laughs> um, is it just soft drinks? That is true, yeah. Is it just bottled, you know, product? Is what What is it? So you kind of have to figure out, is it all yeah. beverages? Like some of the categories too. I, I ran into problems maybe last year or the year before because a client had emailed us saying they were unhappy because I had done work with another brand. And we didn't even realize that it fell into that non-compete category because the categories just seem so broad. Right. Yeah. And so again, th that's what contracts do. Anyways, back to your, um, they, they just set expectations. And for the, if things went wrong, this is how we're going to handle them. For me, when, I, when I've hired a lawyer, I hired a lawyer maybe six months after I started diving much deeper into doing online courses. I realized that oh, if I use contracts for my client work, I should have a lawyer, you know, as, as I expand my student base, you know, at first it was like a hundred students, 200 students, but like, as it moved, trended towards like thousands of students, it's like, okay, objectively, um, as a risk averse person, the more people you interact with in your business, the more risk you open yourself up to. And again, I'm very trusting, very optimistic. I don't think anything bad is going to happen. I don't think people have malicious intent ever. Um, I, I tend to trend towards the sunny side of things. But should something happen, I just wanted to make sure to protect myself, um, especially as my business grows. So mm -hmm. it just felt like the right time. I hired a lawyer to write a terms and conditions and a privacy policy for my course site and for my website. We did like a compliance training of now that I'm doing classes and writing blog posts and coaching and like that stuff that I'm giving advice to people, you kind of need like a, you just slightly change the way you say things sometimes because it's like you're giving someone advice and you're guiding them. You don't want to promise anything. You don't want to promise any, you know, if you do this, that you're definitely going to get this result. Um, I always preface things with like, in my experience, like my recommendation would be, it's, it seems like silly stuff now that I'm saying it out loud, but I do think it was a helpful thing for me to know going into becoming more of a resource for people to learn from because with client work, it's a little more cut and dry for me of here's the brief, here's the contract, here's the deadline, like, I'll get it done, turn it in, this is how it's going to be used. Mm -hmm. And those uh, parameters are kind of set. When I'm mentoring someone or uh, someone's taking one of my classes, it's a little bit more open ended of what they were expecting going in and what they're actually going to get coming out because it relies on them doing some work too. Yeah. So that was another thing I got. I also have hired lawyers just to review contracts and stuff. What else? Oh, I, I hired a lawyer to write a um, like photo release document for, or like kind of a contract for people who sign up for my workshops, um, just letting them know like, hey, if you sign up for this workshop, you're, we have the right to take photos and then use those in marketing. If you want to opt out, like, please let us know and we won't take photos, but just little things like that, that mm -hmm. because I'm an optimist and because of the nature of our businesses too, we have such a like connection with the people that would buy from us and who would take our classes that yeah. it's not in anyone's best interest for them. You know, I don't think that they're going to sue us or they're going to get mad at us. The worst thing that could happen is someone is unhappy with the class and you give them their money back. No big deal. Right. 
Exactly. But you really never know. Best like, case. yeah. I remember my yeah. lawyer saying, you know, okay, if you're going to teach in-person workshops, like, what if someone gets hurt during the workshop? They trip and they break their arm or something, which is probably not going to happen. Uh, or if someone, you know, if you have snacks there, like, what if someone has a food allergy? Like, all this stuff that I don't naturally think about, and it never hurts to think about those things in terms of growing your business and protecting you and giving your clients or students just setting expectations and agreeing to those. It's it's kind of boring stuff, but as I've progressed in my business, it's interesting to me because I don't, my lawyer like covers my blind spots basically. That's really true. Now for you, you said you had a couple things written by like a friend of a friend, like you, so they are contracts or they're shorter contracts? Well, Depending on how you define contracts, mm -hmm. you have terms and uh, an expectation and you sign that by both parties. That's a contract. Me telling you, like, let's uh, let's agree to to do this podcast, to pay uh, our, our editor to to make this happen. And we'll share 50 50. Mm -hmm. That's a verbal contract. And you agreeing to that, like, then we have an agreement, then we have a binding contract. It's reliant on me to trust you that you will hold up on your end. It's binding. Um, it doesn't have to be written. I didn't know that. Verbal contracts are, huh. yeah. In most cases, I definitely know in Switzerland, it's, it's binding. If I tell you that I'm going to pay you so and so much for doing this and this, mm -hmm. it's binding. The hard part is to actually be able to to prove that ah, to enforce it should something if, go wrong exactly mm. enforce it uh, if you say no like no we didn't have that deal you promised more than i'm like no we actually did like that's the deal and so it's my word against yours and then we have this then the judge have to has to decide if it comes to that huh. but it's interesting to for me um because the probably the moment that you're most vulnerable in your business is definitely at the beginning when you like sign contracts that you're not actually you're unknowingly know what kind of uh, contract it is or you have over read like a couple of words mm -hmm. that you didn't know the meaning of kind of like the in perpetuity like yeah what does that Coca -Cola mean would never put, <laughs> like you cannot work for any other company for us in perpetuity and you're like well i don't know how long that is but it sounds i don't know it doesn't sound that long maybe and you don't realize at the beginning of your career that that is a big mistake that you can not undo or it will cost you to undo because maybe the company will say, well, yes, you can undo it um, for this price. Like I, depending on, on imagining someone setting up a, a contract, like a small business, they give that for, for any employee and say like, well, we're a web developing uh, software company and you sign this contract and you're only allowed to work for us, no competitors. And competitors could be Squarespace, could be Google, could be whoever it wants. And, and then suddenly you grow as an artist and you realize I got this contract that prohibits me from doing any other work. And there are like, it only takes one person that wants to screw with you. And that's kind of like, that's as an optimist, it's, it's kind of like this, you, you probably don't believe that there's this one person, but there might be. And kind of like you said, like in the workshop, it only takes one person to, to really change the course of, of whatever you're doing and, and break it all up. Like take all the, the joy out of, out of doing workshops, out of hosting, because he was just unhappy and, and he knows how to deal with that. Mm -hmm. And so 
I feel like as young artists or young artists, as artists who are starting out that are maybe changing freelancers that are changing, doesn't matter what age you are. If you're starting out, um, you're most likely to, to do deals that sound good at that time, but in five years don't sound that great. And one example I know of is Tony Hawk. I think we've talked about it once. Not sure if we did, but the, the, the story of Tony Hawk is that he gave his, the right to his name to a company to do whatever they wanted to. He had no control over whatever they did. And, and he signed it. He got probably a good paycheck from that. But then he suddenly, like a year in, he saw that they were printing the, his names on toilet paper, <laughs> on, on products that had like nothing to do with, it, with him. And they were just like mm-hmm. making money from that. And that's where he learned the valuable lesson of like, no, you know what? I need to own the rights. I need to be in control of, of, what, I, of what comes out of with mm-hmm. my name. And I'm thinking of that too. Like I, I definitely did some mistakes uh, for, for rights that I gave away that I said like, all right, the, the content of this is the, the, the property of this and this person or, or they can own it now. And, and you gave something away that you felt like it's not as valuable, but then you realize like, no, it actually is very valuable. And you want to make sure that like whoever owns those rights, whoever owns this is is really you're the owner of that and and so i I know for example skillshare um for their classes when they make you sign up for a class they're like well everything you teach in this course like belongs to us oh Um, i didn't know that i thought that the lessons like okay depends Hmm. probably depends on if you if they ask you to teach a class or Ah. if if you um if if you teach Mm -hmm. your own class like then you still own it but you like share it on like it's not like youtube doesn't own your content they are allowed to distribute your content um you make money from that but you can post Mm -hmm. it anywhere else it's free to use however you want but if they shoot and direct and do all the the editing like they will ask to own the content as well like you're not allowed to teach that class anywhere else interesting i couldn't remember for some reason, I was talking with a friend the other day. I thought it was different. I probably just need to either email them or look. Oh, if I did, let's say, like, let's use uh, Passion to Paid for an example. If I made yeah. my own class, um, you know, that was a bigger class, longer class, and I wanted to put the first couple lessons on Skillshare as like a freebie, like as a way to kind of get new students in and give them some value, but mm-hmm. not give them the whole class because I think it's more valuable than, you know, $15 a, a month or something. And apparently she had emailed Skillshare about that exact same question. And they said, that's fine. Like they don't own yeah. what you put on there, but maybe you're right. If they shoot the class for you, it's theirs. Yeah. I wonder though, cause I've taught chalk lettering workshops in person which is the same thing I teach on Skillshare, but they did shoot it for me back in 2015. And yeah, I have, I have no idea actually. Cause I, I never really thought about doing another Skillshare class yeah. um, just because I get that the distribution, it can be good because they have a big user base. Um, mm-hmm. But I have a decent size user base. Too. <laughs> you do too. Yeah. And so do you. <laughs> so yeah, but that's, those are the things that you don't think about, like um, yeah, because it seems you, so not like not a big deal because you aren't thinking about future use success. Yeah. You're just thinking about you right now in this moment. It'd be great to get this money and this client now. 
Exactly. And it is, but it doesn't mean you have to sign your rights away either. You can have both. It's not an either or. Or, or if you see that they ask for like complete exclusivity, like they'll never write in, probably never write in the words of exclusivity. Um, like you're just not allowed to compete or like work for competing um, uh, companies. And but then if they put that in, you are giving them like exclusivity. And for that, usually you should go back and like, well, you didn't, well, we didn't discuss that or it wasn't discussed in the email before. So kind of like rights for like buyout rights, um, usage rights, you should make oh, sure yeah. that it's, it's like, do you want to own the content? Like, do you want to own it full? Uh, do you want to own just that piece of content? Do you want me to not work for anyone else in that time? And all these things, like those costs, like add up on money. And then, especially when you're starting out again, you are not likely to ask for more money because it feels wrong or like, I cannot ask that much money. Like I cannot ask this brand to, to pay another couple of grand more for, for this. Like you might be at the beginning, you might be in the hundreds, like asking uh, 500 bucks for, for a design, maybe a hundred bucks. But imagine then it adds on and you're like, well, triples my price, quadruples my price. And it's in a different league. So all of these things, um, they add up and, and yeah, for, for me, that's, I think an advice for, for anyone who's a striving artist, uh, listening to this podcast is, is definitely to, to really take your time. Don't, don't jump to, to conclusions too fast. Don't jump to decisions too fast, uh, because it's attractive right now. Uh, make sure that you own the most of the things that you do for yourself, uh, as long as you can, then especially your brand, your name, like associating that with Skillshare, it's for them, it's great. At the beginning, it doesn't, maybe doesn't sound great, but imagine you're growing in the next couple of years. If you're in five years, you're further ahead. Like I never expected that I would grow to close to 500,000 in a couple of years. And, and now that I have, it's like the, the position I'm in is different than I was when I was like starting out at 50,000, 100,000 uh, when I got my first deals, when I thought like, oh, this is a great opportunity. And it was. But it's looking back, it's like, oh, I should have changed the deal. I should have done this a little bit different. And so there are a lot of things that we can learn from from these things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And everyone's going to, you know, take less than ideal, uh, you know, projects sometimes or agreements. And it's just a learning process and you adjust for next time. And yeah, for anyone who's just starting out, you know, there are certain kind of blanket things that you should always be looking out for in contracts. Um, This could be like a 10 hour long episode if we just went through all of them, but you can kind of think of it as, uh, you know, if you don't understand what something means in a contract that someone is giving to you who wants to hire you and work with you, either do research or if that's making your head spin like it does with me, hire a professional who spent the last, you know, five, 10, 20 years studying law to translate it for you. If you got Mm -hmm. a contract in Chinese and you didn't read or speak Chinese, you would probably want it translated. And so if you don't understand, think of a lawyer as kind of like a translator for you. That's a really good way to look at that, a translator. Mm -hmm. And don't, I think it's, I think the thing that trips a lot of people up when they're starting out, myself included, is you want to present yourself as professional, therefore you think you should know these things or you act like you do know these things. But in reality, like 
law is a serious thing. Um, what you, what rights you give away, like Tony Hawk giving away the rights to his uh, likeness and his name to be put on anything. Um, one thing I was going to bring up when you were talking, Stefan, about usage is, you know, a lot of, let's say you're starting out, oftentimes if you're working with a bigger company that has maybe a dedicated lawyer or a legal team, they're going to be the ones to send you a contract and say, hey, you know, we'd love mm -hmm. to work with you. You you think the project sounds great. And so they send their contract over and you look at it, you know, what's in that contract, you can push back on, you can tweak small things. It doesn't mean uh, you have to agree to everything that's in there. A lot of times, an example I'll give is, you know, let's say you were hired to create, uh, you know, three greeting cards, three designs that were going to be used for greeting cards for some stationary company. And in the contract, it actually says that, you know, they would like the rights to use the artwork across any printed product, which could be anything. And so if they do want that, you can tell them, hey, it's just going to up the price. But if not, let's just tweak the language in the contract to say just greeting cards for X mm -hmm. amount of time. So yeah. there's no malice, but you should assume that anytime you receive a contract, it's in the other party's best interest severely exactly. and vice versa. Like if you give a contract to a client, your, your contract should be protecting you saying that you own the rights. You have the right to present it in your portfolio, in your marketing. Um, if at all possible, always be able to do that. Even if you do a full buyout, like the, the client wants to use the artwork in perpetuity forever, like on any product and you hopefully get paid out a nice sum for that you should always be able to retain the right to present it on Instagram and in your portfolio for marketing purposes. Because a lot of times too, if you can't, yes, the money from a project is great, but also being able to talk about that project and show it in your portfolio can springboard you into other opportunities. Mm -hmm. And if you're stripped of that opportunity, you should just get paid more money because uh, that's what artists mainly build their businesses and portfolios on is proving that they've done cool work for cool brands mm -hmm. and then that attracting more cool work from cool brands. Now there's a question. I, you, you said that if you give all the rights away, if you do a full buyout rights, are you not allowed to use it on your website? It depends. Um, so there are things where I guess maybe I'm conflating these terms. If you do like a full buyout and they want the artwork, usually you can still use it. Um, you should, even if it's implied or whatnot, have it in writing in the contract mm -hmm. that you can display it on your social media and your portfolio, just so there's no gray area of like, hey, I thought I could. And they're like, no, you couldn't. If you sign um, a work for hire contract, which is something that if at all possible, like avoid in your freelance life. Um, if you're working full time for a company, most likely you are, um, or like a permalancer, most likely your work for hire, like meaning everything you create becomes the intellectual property of the company you're working for. Um, mm. The same way when I was working at the advertising agency, any campaigns or concepts yeah. or designs that we made yeah. were the agencies because they were selling yeah. it to the client. And so that that only in a full-time or like long-term contractor capacity does that really apply. But if you're doing just a one-off project, Try not to do work for hire because basically what work for hire means is anything you make is the intellectual property of the person you made it for, or the company you made it for. Therefore, you 
like you aren't even the creator anymore. They're the creator. And yeah. so you transfer all of the rights. So in that case, if it's a work for hire, most likely you're not allowed to show it right. in your portfolio. Um, I have a handful of friends who work for uh, like TV networks or bigger mm -hmm. companies where they can't show any of the work they do in their yeah. portfolio. Um, only if it's like a password protected PDF for the purpose of getting a job, they can't put anything on Instagram dribble, yeah. um, you know, because it's yeah, such a big a company. Yeah. I have a friend mm -hmm. like that too. It's sad. He showed me what he's doing, but he's not like, he's not allowed to share it with anyone else. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like it feels, media. yeah, for some people like myself, I like being able to share the work I've done and seeing it come to fruition and then being able to put it in my portfolio is very yeah. satisfying for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some other people might not care as much about that. Um, therefore, maybe it's not a big, it's not as big of a deal to uh, work for a company or sign a contract where you can't show it. But that's something that early on, someone, I can't remember who gave me advice to always make sure you can show it in your portfolio. Cause as, as someone who's starting out, you might think that's implied. And I think most of us do, but it might not always be. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, but you will learn as you go. Um, there's, a lot of Googling that happens at the beginning. Um, but again, if that still doesn't cut it, like someone in the family probably knows someone who's a lawyer they could put you in touch with. You can do some research online, ask your community. Um, ideally, you want to find someone, you don't, don't just want like a, any lawyer, someone who specializes in working with small businesses or freelancers yeah. or even in the design industry would be great. Um, it always helps to have someone who specializes in your area so they can really walk you through what's going on. Pretty good. Pretty good. What about, well, how do you find a lawyer? How did you find your lawyer? I found my first lawyer uh, through my accountant, my CPA. I asked her if she knew anybody and she put me in touch with someone that she recommended. So I got a personal recommendation. Another lawyer that I've worked with, I found actually, oh, shout out to uh, Elizabeth Gray, uh, the greater good on Instagram. Um, I saw her post maybe in her story one time about the lawyer she works with. And I just tapped to her Instagram profile and uh, she specializes in like law for creatives. And I saw that and I was like, oh, that's great. Cause I was having a hard time getting in touch with my old lawyer. And I was like, this is weird. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> um, and maybe he just had like bigger, bigger clients, like more, more work. Um, but I reached out to her and I've been working with her on some other stuff. So I found her through, uh, Elizabeth. <laughs> Perfect. See, yep. that's how easy, but like personal recommendations are great because then you know like somebody has already worked mm -hmm. with them they have kind of like dealt with that person um friends friends is kind of always the same thing it's like working with friends versus having them as friends um sometimes it's great sometimes it's not great like my accountant he's a great friend um mm. very close friend and it's perfect like his job, he does his job great. Um, lawyer, I probably would go also to someone I know. Like I meet up every morning. Oh, well, every morning, every Tuesday morning. So this morning. I was going to say, um, whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, every morning. Uh, every Tuesday morning, I uh, have coffee with my accountant and a lawyer. So it's kind of like the beginning of a joke that could like an accountant, a lawyer, yeah. and an artist walk into a bar. What they, what do they do? Yeah. <laughs> so... <sighs> 
I might ask him one time for for advice or just like, hey, how do you how do you recommend setting this up? Uh, maybe he's not even in the position to to do that because he mm-hmm. applied does something different. Like I don't know exactly what field he's in, but then again, it's it's making sure that you're set up right, that you're not likely to screw things up. And from listening to that conversation right now with you, from what you said, Lauren, is I definitely need to check out with workshops how to make sure that I am not in any position to be vulnerable if somebody breaks their leg or their neck or whatever happens during a workshop that I'm not getting in trouble or liable to any risk just to make sure that I keep doing workshops and I keep yeah, helping creators to to learn more. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's like, even when I'm trying to think of a situation, like when I go get tattoos, they make you sign a contract, like a waiver saying, hey, um, we're going to give you this tattoo and you have to be 18. You have to vouch that you're not under the influence of alcohol or drugs. Um, when you leave the shop, what happens with your tattoo? We're not liable for like you're in charge of caring for it. Like if something happens with the color or whatnot, like you, they make sure that they relieve themselves of any liability. Yeah. Also, there's a box that says like, um, we'd like to be able to take a photo of this tattoo for the you know tattoo shop's portfolio. You can say yes or no. Same thing with like sometimes if you go get your like eyebrows waxed or your hair cut. Um, your stylist might ask you if they can take a photo. And like you were saying, a lot of times it's just verbal, but sometimes, especially with anything like skin, face, like if you go get your eyebrows waxed, I don't know if you've ever done that Mm -hmm. before, they'll say something like, you know, we're going to basically in in legal terms, like we're going to put hot wax on your face. And like, if you have an allergic reaction, like it's not on us. (laughs) And that's just a pretty standard thing. And it's, it's weird thinking that way and almost like starting an interaction like that, but mm-hmm. it is important because I actually knew someone who ran a, I, actually, I don't know, some kind of beauty thing. And she got sued by a client who like had a weird reaction to some, some kind of product. And that mm-hmm. was rough. And it's so hard because a lot of it is, it might not be your fault, but it yeah. happened under your business or, you know, at one of your events. And so you just have to think about that stuff. This is like the very not sexy stuff about running a business. However, the way that I think about it, and it's taken me years to think about it this way. And for anyone who's who's listening to this and is like, oh my gosh, I'm so far behind on all the stuff I need to do. Don't worry about it. I didn't take care of this stuff till like three years ago. And that's like more than halfway through. Uh, and I business. haven't taken care of this till now. So yeah. <laughs> You're going to mostly be fine. Um, obviously, too, these things can get expensive. But if you think about it, if you let's say a lawyer is, I don't know, $250 an hour, which is expensive. But if you clearly tell them what you need and maybe it's going gonna, it's gonna to take an hour or two of their time, let's say you're going to spend $500 um, getting a contract reviewed or having them walk you through something, uh, terminology, whatnot, what things to look out for. 
that $500 invested now could protect you from tens of thousands of dollars of liability in the future should yeah. something go wrong. Most likely yeah. things won't go wrong, but sometimes they do. Even I as an optimist and Stefan as an optimist yeah. know that things could go wrong. Yeah. We just don't think they're going to. It's, it's, um, it's pretty much like having an insurance. Oh, yeah. That's one thing I was going to say, You're hoping too. that nothing happens, but if something does, that's why you get insurance is that if something happens, you're insured. Exactly. And there's, um, uh, well, at least in Switzerland, there's insurance for that protects you from um, any, if anyone would sue me in Switzerland or, well, from anywhere, I have insurance in Switzerland that I would get a lawyer that I would be protected to as high enough an amount if I didn't do everything wrong, pretty much. So well, like, I'm, like I'm pretty protected in that insurance? sense. Or well, a, it's a, a type of business um, insurance? It's, it's a, what's a, a justice insurance? Like a, it's in, in case somebody would sue me and, and I would be, even if I would be wrongfully accused, or rightfully accused, uh, the insurance kicks in and protects me for a certain amount. So like till 5 million. Interesting. Which in the I feel US like we don't have that happen. here in the US, yeah. but I do have uh, last year. So again, this is five years into my business, so don't sweat it if you haven't done everything. Uh, I, I think Stefan and I try to be transparent. So like we're doing a lot of things right, but we're also not doing everything perfectly. We're, everyone is learning and growing and striving just to be a little bit better. I got business insurance and general liability insurance last year for my business because I was doing more events. And basically what that covers you for, um, especially as your business grows and you start to make more money, um, mm -hmm. you know, it covers you if someone slipped and fell in my studio um, and they were visiting and they got hurt. Um, if, you know, at a workshop, someone hurt themselves too or had an allergy to something in the room, those things cover me up to like, I don't know, $2 million or something of damages. So, and it ended up costing me, I think, I think it's like $1,200 a year. So it's like a hundred dollars a month. It's really not that bad. Um, and generally, if you're a freelance designer or creative artist, you run a fairly low liability business because you're not, unless you're installing murals or something where you're bringing all your equipment and you're on a lift or a big ladder and you have a team, maybe then yeah. you need more insurance. But for the most part, we run, most of us work, you know, out of small studios or our homes. It's pretty low, low liability. But what I was saying earlier is even though this is the like scary, unsexy, you know, part of running a creative business, I see it as necessary to get your stuff together eventually, or hopefully sooner rather than later, because it's in pursuit and support of you being able to do your best work and your best art uh, and be more creative, not having to worry about what if that happens or like, where am I liable or like what, mm -hmm. you know, like you were saying with a, um, if you're working with a big company, if you've signed contracts with Coca-Cola or like big brands um, and you don't change anything, if something goes wrong, you know that you're the one who's screwed because, of course, those contracts are in their favor. And actually, at Adobe Max, Chantelle Martin talked really eloquently about that. Um, she was like, she was talking directly to brands, like on stage. She was like, you know, brands come to artists and they say, we want to collaborate with, with you. We love your work. We want to work with you. And immediately after, give you this contract that basically strips you of all your rights um, and all your money if something were to go wrong. And 
those companies could bankrupt you or I or any other small business a hundred times over. And they know that. And so she was basically say, telling brands to be kinder to artists. And yeah. if you truly want to collaborate with artists, like don't be so restrictive, but yeah, the truth is for anyone who, you know, hasn't really read through a contract before or is just starting out, most of those contracts with all the legal jargon do say that like if something were to go wrong, you're liable for covering the company's legal expenses. That's like a standard thing and you can push back on that. You might have to sign it um if they won't if they won't budget, but it is not wrong to question parts of a contract. Again, mm -hmm. The same way with presenting a contract to a client, it's not a bad thing. It doesn't make you look like a bad person. It makes you look like a serious business person. And they, they're almost expecting you to. It's almost like, you know, in, in previous episodes, whenever we've talked about pricing and negotiating, don't see negotiating as, oh, I'm an evil person, or they're going to think I'm bad for asking for more money. They're assuming that you're going to ask for more money, which is why they gave you that slightly lower number to begin yeah. with. So they actually might be surprised if you don't negotiate. So when someone sends you a contract, think of it the same way, review it. Maybe once in a blue moon, you'll get a contract that sounds great and there are no red flags. But oftentimes I can't think of a single contract in the last, I don't know, six months that we haven't tweaked a small thing about. Mm -hmm. So if that gives anyone any insight, it's okay to read through those things and to push back. Kind of thinking of next steps for it, for all our striving artists. Like a striving artist is is not trying to think of the short run, like the short term. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not just thinking about like, how can I go through this year? But how will I succeed for the next 10, 20 years? Like in the previous episode, you've heard us talk about we are trying to think of the long run. How can we do this for the next 10, 30, 40 years? And, and so for that, you definitely need to, to get a lawyer to look at your standing, like how are you legally covered? Are you doing well? Is there something that you need to address right now? Is there something that you need to update, terms, conditions? And, and make sure that you, get, um, that you ask for a friend's recommendation Uh, get someone that you feel you can trust um, and ask them to either review what you already have to set up something new to um, even give you like a checkup. If, if we can give you advice from our experience is to, to really get a checkup, do it as soon as possible. And if you want to do it for the long term, if you just want to do it for the next month, you're free to do however you want to do it. Um, but even then, If something happens later, you just don't want to be sorry, uh, be safe than sorry. So it's true. And I would say if I had to like estimate, rough estimate how much I've spent on lawyers, it's really only been a couple thousand dollars over the course of a couple years. So it's not nice. And yeah. it's not a crazy, you know, breaking yeah. the bank expense. It's expensive for sure, but I see it as an investment. And I think you and I have talked in previous episodes about knowing what is an investment in your business and what's going to help yeah. it grow versus something that's only going to be short term. I consider yeah. this a long-term investment. Yeah. And I have spent five and a half grand on a computer. So there you go. A couple, couple yep. of grand for, for a lawyer is definitely long-term than yeah. short-term. That's actually a really great point. We're comfortable spending a couple grand on camera gear or on a computer, maybe even like a workshop or an online course but we won't do it for like something as serious as business yeah. insurance or a lawyer. Yeah. 
Um, that actually like- puts it way into perspective. Good point, Stefan. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Striving Artist Podcast. If you enjoy this episode, we'd be so grateful if you shared it with a creative person in your life who would too. It would help us a lot if you could also rate, review, and subscribe to the Striving Artist Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and or SoundCloud. Since we're relatively new to podcasting, this helps to rank the show and get it in front of more striving artists out there. Oh, and one last thing. Stefan and I would love to hear from you. Believe it or not, we're both real people who read messages, so please feel free to send us an email, DM, or better yet, ask us a question via voice message on Anchor. We would love to hear from you. Head over to strivingartist.com for all of our contact info. We'll see you in the next one. Bye. Bye.